Norman, we began today, as most news bulletins around the country began today, with swine flu, mutating fast, influenza pandemics, all those kind of words that make people feel very anxious. Yes, um, and uh, and of course it's getting a lot, it is huge news. And of course the world has been focused on bird flu in Asia and um, and now this comes out of probably Mexico, although where it actually comes from will probably still is still to be ascertained. But it looks as though it's coming from Mexico, and it's been around for a while. And why people are talking about this being pan- – let's just separate out the two. Of course, um, because, because the concern is one may – perhaps be the the portent of the inevitable arrival of the other is that right well kind of yes there's two kinds of two patterns of flu if you like and, and if you want to know more about this they can tune into they can look at the go to the health report on radio national's website because i've got a whole program on it today but there's two kinds of flu there's if you like common or garden flu which occurs every year that's seasonal flu and that's not insignificant i mean 500 million people die each year around the world from seasonal flu mm. so a lot of people die from from regular flu and we'll talk about a little bit about that and how that spreads later and then there's pan and and seasonal flu affects the very young and the very old and the frail particularly the frail and the elderly and um, and that's what you have your flu shot for, although we'll come back to that later, but just the true value of perhaps the flu shot. And But then there's pandemic flu or potentially pandemic flu. And historically what has happened there is that there's been an interchange between uh, a human virus and an animal virus, what's called reassortment, where the genes get reassorted. And then it becomes, if you like, an, an, an entirely new virus to the human immune system. And if that virus has the potential to spread fast between humans, then you've got a potential for a pandemic. And what seems to, and what happened with bird flu and why bird flu hasn't turned into a pandemic is that it's not very good at passing from human to human. There has been some mm. human spread, but it's not been very good. Now, pandemic flu affects young people, uh, but you know, not young kids, but they, they tend to affect people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and who are thought to die because of an overwhelming reaction of their immune system. It's not really well known. So that's why people are scared about this virus, because it seems to be a reassortment of genes of a vir- in a virus that's called H1N1. Yes. Now, H1N1 just describes the how it appears to the immune system. There's a substance called hemagglutinin and another one called neuraminidase, neuraminidase and uh, the code is H1N1. The bird flu one is H5N1. And... Uh, H1N1 is the family of viruses that caused the Spanish flu uh, uh, pandemic in 1918. Yes. And what there seems to have occurred here is a reassortment of genes between pigs, birds and humans. And now you've got a breakout. The big question with this one is to... So this is the the situation... And it's not occurred during an influenza season. Yes. So influenza season is, is winter. And... Um, a new virus to come out of South America is very unusual. Um, the so thing so first of all, it's an unusual place for a new virus to come from. Um, most new viruses come out of Asia, and it's not in season, and um, it's an animal virus. And there are reports of significant numbers of deaths in Mexico. Mm. So it looks as though it's got potential to spread human to human. 
So it's got so we've got two things fulfilled for a potential pandemic. The question then thirdly becomes just how efficiently it travels human to human and fourthly how toxic it is, how mm. virulent it is and mm. how likely it is to kill you. And the evidence coming from the United States is that it's maybe not that toxic, not that virulent and it causes a fairly mild episode of flu, but that's it's early days yet. These yes. things gather pace, and as the interchange between humans, things can change, and it can also depend on the dose of the virus that you get. So this is very, these are very early days. Now, on the health report today, and it's this is relevant to this story, because what they've noted, it seems as though this virus is resistant to oseltamivir, and that's the proper name for Tamiflu. Yes. The anti-flu. It looks as though people respond to Tamiflu. Now, over the last two years internationally, they've observed a, quite a significant rise in Tamiflu-resistant H1N1. So there's a virus in this family of viruses, the H1N1, which is rising throughout the world, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere, um, which is resistant to Tamiflu. And I had on a researcher today from the Pasteur Institute in Paris, where they've studied this in France, because the question is, is this rise, and there's been thousands of these cases mm. in the United States, is this rise of Tamiflu-resistant H1N1 a result of doctors throwing around Tamiflu and you're getting the equivalent of antibiotic resistance? Yes. Now, there are certain things that go against that. 70% of H1N1 viruses in Norway are Tamiflu resistant. But doctors in Norway hardly ever prescribe Tamiflu. And in Japan, where doctors throw around Tamiflu as though they're M&Ms, there's only 3% resistance in H1N1. So it doesn't seem to follow patterns of doctors prescribing. And what they've shown, and this shows you how devilish, mm. or whatever you want to say yeah. the flu virus is, it looks as though, according to these French researchers, that it's a spontaneous mutation. That just by sheer chance, a mutation to Tamiflu has arisen, or a mutation has arisen, which turns out to be resistant to, make it resistant to Tamiflu. And why it's persisted is that it makes this virus stronger than its mates. And therefore, this virus survives. It's not more toxic to humans. You're not more likely to die of it. But you, evolutionary-wise, it's more fit and therefore survives. Now, the risk here is, and there's been a lot of this resistant virus in the United States, is that although luckily we're not in the American flu season, so the chances of it happening are not high, but you get intermingling of the new swine virus with H1N1 resistant to Tamiflu, and they share genes because it gives you an evolutionary advantage. Then you've got the nightmare scenario of a potentially pandemic virus which is resistant to Tamiflu. Yes. And sorry, it's a long, long story to tell, but it's an important one to tell. I guess that it, it is a good way of explaining why there is such concern whenever you have outbreaks like this present one. And, and similarly, I spoke to the Chief Medical Officer uh, for WA earlier in the program, and I guess... Um, you know, six years ago when we were talking about SARS, it was that, that really significant public health response that has probably, uh, you know, enabled uh, SARS to be not quite the event that we thought it would be. 
No, and that, that's good news that you know it doesn't turn into the, the the big story. And the worry with SARS was that it it was it seemed to be exquisitely passed, you know, e so easily passed. You know, a medical student got it passing the foot of the bed, didn't even examine a patient, mm. got passing the the foot of a bed, and I think it was either Hong Kong or I think it was Canada. I can't remember now mm. where. Um, people got it from touching surfaces. So SARS was very easily transmissible. So there's lots of things about this virus that have got to be fulfilled before it turns into a pandemic. And if it's, and you know, and if the control measures are, and even if it has got pandemic potential, what's likely to happen is that the pandemic plans that have been put into place in places like Canada, the United States and Australia, UK, etc., with their Tamiflu stocks, and Relenza, the other one, mm. it's, it's likely to control um, the epidemic and, and, and make it not much more different from um, regular seasonal flu apart from the types of people affected. Now, that's, that's a likely prediction of what's going to happen. But what will, again, here's a prediction of what will happen if it does turn out to pandemic flu, is that the countries which will suffer worst from this are the poor countries. Yes, because they, because, won't, the, yeah. they won't have the stocks of the Tamiflu and Relenza. And this will devastate them. The, yeah. the millions of deaths that they predict from a pandemic yes. are going to occur in sub-Saharan Africa, India, uh, China to some extent, uh, places which don't necessarily have the infrastructure that we have. And, um, and the last two pandemics, it has to be said, whilst bad, were not that bad. There were there were only, I want to say only, you know, if you happen to die of it, this is not good news, but there were only about twice as bad as a regular seasonal outbreak. So pandemics don't have to be like 1918. Norman, in the, the few minutes that we've got, can we look at, at things like seasonal uh, flu treatments? Because it's certainly time of the year around here, I think we're being offered our flu, our flu shots. And uh, I I know there are certain people within our community that are much more at risk. Um, I, I choose not to have one. And, and I guess part of that response, a personal response for me, is, is that antibiotic resistance thing that you spoke of earlier. Um, Francis has rung us and said he's about to go to work as a bus driver where he gets exposed to every single bug going around. Now, a couple of years ago, he asked his GP about getting an anti-flu shot. Doctor told him it's a waste of time. There was no shot that could cope with all the viruses that come our way. Do you have a feeling one way or another about the, the validity and usefulness of, of flu shots? Well, um, again, that was a story on today's health report. The... Um so the, let's not confuse drug resistance with the vaccine. So you're not going to make yourself resistant to Tamiflu by being vaccinated or immunized against influenza. Yeah. Two separate issues. Sure. So the question is the extent to which you benefit from flu shots. And I think there are different, there are different parts of this story. So elderly people are told, go to the GP and have your flu shot. Well, let's deal, let's deal with Francis's question as a bus driver. The GP's right, in a sense, is that you're, you're going to be exposed to hundreds of different viruses, most of which will just be the common one version of the common cold virus, and a flu shot won't cover you for that. The question is, should you be exposed to influenza, um, the extent to which you will benefit from that one virus of the year, which you may not get, uh, you may not even be exposed to. So that's a separate issue. But let's deal with the elderly first. So people are being told, you're over 65, you really should have a flu shot. And they're told that it reduces your chance of pneumonia and dying of the flu. 
and there have been dramatic statistics quoted of 50% risk of dying in winter in people who've got influenza. Yes. A researcher in the United States didn't believe that because it, it, the, the maths don't work out because 50% you know, of win, you know, that percentage of winter deaths are not caused by influenza, almost not even caused by influenza in a pandemic year. So the... So there's just not enough influenza around to get a 50% total reduction in deaths um, in winter in people who are immunised. So she looked at the research and found it not to be well done, that the research was quoting figures where they just looked at the flu season. And what she did in a large sample of people in uh, the Pacific Northwest United States looked at before the flu season, during the flu season and after the flu season. And what she found was that in people, that in the immunized population, the population of elderly people who were immunized, their chances of dying compared to the non-immunized population of elderly people were actually far greater reduced before the flu season started. In other words, when there was no influenza around at all. Right. And so what she has assumed is that, in fact, this risk reduction in dying has got nothing whatsoever to do with influenza vaccine and everything to do with the sort of person who turns up at the GP asking for a flu shot. In other words, they are healthier yes. than the average person and far less likely to die than the average person. And that probably people who are really ill and elderly are not going for their flu shot, maybe because they are too ill. And therefore, you've got a bias in the results. And her conclusion is that possibly, if you like, the wrong people are going forward for flu shots. The most vulnerable aren't. And the benefit is small. It's, and it's so small that when you look at a large population, you can't find it. And, of course, that affects the economics. Yes, yes. Because we course. fund the, you know, millions of dollars each year, assuming a large benefit. And the large benefit is almost certainly not there. So that's, but that's different from you as an individual. So you as an individual, what have you got to lose? Well, a pain in the arm maybe yeah. a little bit, and there's no harm from the flu vaccine. And it will prevent, although it's not been proven in elderly people, it's been proven in healthy younger people, yes. it will prevent flu. The, the, the vulnerable population that's being immunized at the moment, there are no randomized trials as far as I'm aware, which show benefit in that group of people. But it's likely that the flu shot will prevent you coming down with the flu. If you're healthy, it probably, you probably would have survived the flu and survived it quite well. If yes. you're frail, you may well have died and it might well have saved your life. If you're younger, um, like you or me, and you don't want to miss a few days at work, that's why you have the flu shot. Yes. Um, we're, you know, unless we've got some um, problem, like a problem with your heart or lungs, you've got cystic fibrosis or something like that, we're unlikely to die of seasonal flu. And therefore, we're, we're really just taking it so we don't miss time at work. So there are different reasons for different people. But there are, is a major issue for policymakers, uh, governments who mm. are funding flu vaccine. Mm. Um, they're probably not getting the bang for the buck the way it's done, for the, done at the moment. Now, a question has come in. If I wear a face mask when I'm out and about, is that for me to protect, uh, protect you from my germs <laughs> or protect, protect me from yours? I think it's a bit of both. It depends what kind of face mask. You know, you can buy you, know, you can buy a cheap and nasty face mask, and you know, it might not protect you against uh, in, in either direction. It's it's a bit of both, um, but it's most masks are mostly 
outward flowing uh, germs, in other words, not passing them on uh, to other people rather than not receiving them. Um, and um, I'm not up on face mask technology. Uh, there are some masks which will protect you on the way in as well. Um, but the, um, it, yeah. It did help make Michael Jackson an incredibly strange person, didn't it? <laughs> it did, but I don't know how often he got the flu. No, <laughs> that's true. Just quickly and finally, uh, will you have a flu jab this winter? No. Uh-huh. Just because I'm slack, really. Because you're slack uh, and you're a fairly uh, healthy man and you think that you would just ride out whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, it's just not on my agenda, really. Um, and, all right, uh, so we spend all our time telling people to be diligent with yeah, their health and this I, is what we do reveal. Do I say, not as I do. I've told this before, Jeffrey. Dr Norman Swan, it's a pleasure and thank you for being at work on what to the rest of us is a holiday Monday. Enjoy yourself, Jeff. We'll talk to you next week. Dr Norman Swan.